You're listening to Simulcast, a podcast about healthcare simulation. So welcome to Simulcast. I'm Victoria Brazel, and today we're doing another in our series of Advances in Simulation articles. Uh, This is a collaboration between Simulcast and the journal, where we try and highlight some of the work in the journal, and in particular, the authors and their stories and how they came to write their articles and what relevance it might have for us as both simulation practitioners, but also hopefully as budding simulation scholars. Uh, I'm joined today by two people who are going to help us through their article and I'm going to read out the title of the article, A Systematic Review and Meta-Analysis of the Effectiveness of Virtual Reality as an Exercise Intervention for Individuals with a Respiratory Condition. And this is from Christina Condon and team uh, and this is in Advances in Simulation at the end of last year. So Christina, first author, she's our guest. How are you, Christina? I'm doing well. Thank you so much, Victoria. Thanks so much for joining us. And just for our listeners, uh, Christina has recently been a Doctor of Physiotherapy student at Bond University and is just about to embark on her career as a physio in our language or physical therapist in the North American language. Uh, She's joined by Suzanne Goff, who is the Uh, senior author on this paper who works with me at Bond where she's the Associate Dean of Learning and Teaching and also Associate Professor uh, of Physiotherapy. How are you Suzanne? Very well thank you and such an honour to be on this podcast with you today. Excellent honour, I love this. Uh, Well we might, before we even get started on the paper, we might go a little bit back into how you came to be writing it because Suzanne I understand this is actually part of the curriculum for your doctor of physiotherapy students tell us about that yeah absolutely so all doctor of physiotherapy students are required to undertake a piece of research so they have a couple of subjects called evidence-based practice and that's impartial fulfillment of their degree. So this takes the form of usually a literature review, but it could be a literature review that informs a research project. But in this case, uh, what we had was some um, kind of meaty data that came out and um, Christina and Wing decided to further this and complete a full systematic review with meta-analysis. Yeah, and I think this is a nice example where uh, core curriculum uh, requirements can really help support scholarship and research involvement. And obviously, that's of a variable degree depending on how long people's programs and courses are. So this is a good example of that. All right, well, let's get into this research question uh, because this is a little bit of an interesting um uh, topic for those of us in the simulation community because you're really looking at the use of virtual reality for clinical care and the background in the paper and I'll just sort of paraphrase here uh, looking after patients with respiratory disease is quite hard things like COPD cystic fibrosis they're challenging uh, and managing things like shortness of breath and reduction of exercise tolerance uh, has a big literature that I'm obviously not an expert in. But uh, now we are talking about using virtual reality to actually help this clinical care. So I think I've certainly heard my colleague Jesse Spur, he did a talk at SMAC about using VR for things like chronic pain and burns dressing. So I'm aware there is a body of literature there. But let's turn to this specific example and maybe, Suzanne, you can give us a little picture. Let's say you've got your COPD patient and you say, hey, I'm going to give you some VR to see if we can improve your exercise tolerance. What's the experience of that like for the patient? 
Okay, so when we kind of select a virtual reality experience, we've got to have a look at who is our patient. So with respiratory conditions, these can be very varied across the lifespan. So we might be talking about introducing virtual reality for a child, someone in, you know, young, somebody who is middle aged or the elderly. So we've got to choose our um, device carefully. So what do they actually see? So it depends what it is. So they could see a virtual world, a person, an image where we saw an environment like walking through um, the forest or walking on a beach or relaxation. So something to kind of calm the mind, get somebody engaged and transport them to another place other than where they were. So instead of looking at three walls in a hospital projected onto uh, the walls may have been a forest scene or a path and they're walking if you fast forward to low-tech uh, low devices now, that is seen with some of the Wii Fit sports where we're kind of running along a um, imagined track that's generated on screen and the little controllers help us to jog and the avatar that's um, on screen is running in time with our movements. Okay. All right. So it's a visualisation of actually moving uh, in an environment that's obviously something a little bit more happy than a uh, hospital environment. So I guess this invites us to think a little bit about the modalities as well. There's a bit of terminology in the paper, Christina, maybe you can help us out here. What is VR, AR, MR, exogaming? Uh, they're familiar to some people I know, but could you just sort of run us through what these are? Sure. Um, so Suzanne did a really good job at kind of highlighting some of the individual ones. As she said, uh, VR is this umbrella term for the three-dimensional image or visual environment that can be interacted with in like a seemingly real or physical way. And then we have um, AR, which stands for augmented reality, which is maybe popularized by Pokemon Go. Um, so mm -hmm. this is the interactive experience that uh, a real world is enhanced by a computer generated perceptual information. Yeah. And they're kind of one is overlaid on the other. That's correct. Mm. Yeah. And then mixed reality, um, not used so much um, within the research or um, for an intervention per se, um, but it's the merging of the real and virtual world. Um, so an object can, objects, objects can coexist um, and interact in real time. And where this is found in clinical cares, most often when surgeons overlay like a CT or an MRI on top of a, a patient. Mm -hmm. Um, mm -hmm. And then exergaming, um, which Suzanne mentioned, we fit is probably one of the most popular ones that was used um, in research and, and is quite popular just generally. Um, and then it tracks the body movement and reactions. So it's a video gameplay that requires the participant to be a physically active in order to play the game on the screen. Mm -hmm. All right, so I think that's very helpful because now we understand what it is we're actually researching about. So let's get into this uh, paper then. So uh, I'll quote from the paper here about your uh, purpose. Investigate the most current literature that examines the effectiveness of VR gaming and exogaming-based interventions in individuals with a respiratory condition and to provide further direction and recommendations towards future research. So maybe, Christina, could you keep uh, going here for us and just tell us a little bit about this um, systematic review and meta-analysis and uh, for the lay people, explain what that actually means. Sure. Um, so first, uh, one of the things that um, was really helpful in Suzanne's mentorship is we had to clearly understand what the question is, is that we wanted to ask and we wanted to find the answer to. And in order to do that, 
you have to really understand just down to the letter what um, what each word you want to put into your question means. So that mm-hmm. actually took a lot more time than um, I think I had anticipated just refining that research question. Um, once we identified that, we were able to go through literature databases and say, does anyone else have this question? Has it been answered? Is someone working on it? Um, and then also kind of keeping in the back of our heads which journals um, we are submitting or are presenting these this topic um, to help us kind of later down the road, if that makes sense. Yes, um, and just to kind of pause there a little bit, Suzanne, this is just always the key, isn't it? Are you actually asking the right question? Uh, it's easy to answer if you know what your question is. Comments on that? Yeah, absolutely. And that's what we get our students to design. Yes, absolutely. And uh, the paper is described as a systematic review and meta-analysis. And again, Christina, for those of us who aren't experts in this methodology, uh, what does that actually mean? So a systematic review would be, it's the process of going through having your question and then going through the critical appraisal of the articles that you have chosen and then collecting and uh, grouping information um, to try and answer that question. Mm. And these uh, methods, so you do your systematic review to find all your articles in a systematic way and include them or exclude them as needed, and then your meta-analysis is a sort of more numeric thing where you've got your data and you're trying to pool things together so that you can, as you say, get a stronger signal if indeed there is one there from multiple small studies. Uh, Now, obviously, we could imagine lots of ways of doing this, but we're fortunate in that there's some guidelines, the PRISMA guidelines, and you refer to those. And for those who want to have a look at this paper, there's a lovely, beautifully set out table there, which illustrates how you go through this process. So some of these articles clearly would be of different methodologic quality. Uh, You've got to have a bit of a system for picking out the good ones from the ones you don't want to include, Suzanne? Yes, that's exactly right. So what we actually identified in our protocol was the students were going to use the Joanna Briggs uh, Institute critical appraisal tools. And these allowed them to um, appraise methodological quality irrespective of their study design. So there were um, set JBI tools for the randomized controlled trial systematic review and those observational studies. So again, in the article, we can see that in the table. And I guess this is just part for any researcher about making their work reproducible, transparent. And so uh, potentially if someone came along and did it, they would come up with the same answer that you did. Speaking of which, let's get on to our findings here. And again, I'll refer back to this PRISMA table. There were over three and a half thousand studies that were potentially included, but uh, you actually ended up when you went through the systematic process of just getting 22 that were suitable for review from a whole bunch of countries. So um, Suzanne, tell me, what did we, uh, or maybe Christina, you can tell me, what did you actually find? All right. So some of our findings included um, that, so there were the participants that were recruited in the study were from a variety inpatient, outpatient um, settings and then the virtual reality uh, systems that were selected or gaming interventions uh, varied quite widely, um, anywhere from a console to an exercise type to, um, as Suzanne was mentioning before, some of these game types with head headsets or headpieces. Um, and some examples of these would be the Wii Fit balance board or motion detector straps. The frequency and duration and gaming experience, as well as the the days per week and the intensity of the exercise. Um, these are some of the things that 
within the exercise protocols that we were um, trying to observe. So this was coupled with a wide range of measures that we found in the studies. Um, So some of these physiological measurements were heart rate, oxygen saturation, oxygen consumption, energy expenditure, shortness of breath, um, as well as quality of life questionnaires, um, enjoyment factors, or other objective measurements such as walking distance, hand grip strength, and horizontal jump test. So this is always a tricky thing with systematic reviews and meta-analyses, as you might have one study that looks at the a wee fit balance board and what effect it had on oxygen consumption, and then you've got another study that uh, has a completely different modality and it, it measured quality of life. And so it's sort of tricky to start comparing these studies. Uh, so you end up with actually a limited ability for the compare the apples and oranges? Absolutely. And it does make that particularly challenging. So I think one of the um, key tips when you're starting out doing a systematic review is to make sure you've got a really good extract data extraction table. Because what you don't want to do is set off extracting some data and think, oh, I should have I looked for that. I should have included that. And you have to go back. So what the um, team decided is we would map across a, um, a table, very much that study type design characteristics, and have to go through those comparative interventions or um, control trials in the study design and map out not just those outcome measures, but also any qualitative uh, reported measures. So, yes, we've included things in the systematic um, review and meta-analysis aspect that have come from the randomized control trials, but we equally wanted to include all those things about um, patient-reported outcome measures and the qualitative aspects. So what are their thoughts and feelings? What do they you know, feel about using a device or whether they are actually adhered to the uh, exercise protocol that they were given? Mm. Yes, and I guess just to look at, again at this table, there's six randomised controlled trials, four systematic reviews, five cross-sectional studies and seven pilot studies. So, you know, this is a research area still in its infancy, which probably makes it a little bit hard to um, draw strong conclusions. Uh, I'm going to zero in on them now because uh, if we just look at those physiologic parameters, the quantitative measures, Christina, uh, it looks like there was not much evidence of benefit. Um, that is correct. That is um what we found once the data extraction was complete, it was easier to see um, that some of these differences or something that might have been seemed beneficial within one study um, didn't really follow through once um, we got to that conclusion um, part. Mo- most things were either um, slightly insignificant to being just um, on par with uh, standard exercise. The only outcome measure that we found that that had um, benefit over standard exercise was actually uh, dyspnea or shortness of breath. And I can imagine that, of course, dyspnea is a subjectively patient experience. Uh, and so it may be that there's multifaceted impacts on that as opposed to some of these uh, more raw physiologic parameters. Well, Suzanne, what does that actually mean? You've got your average physiotherapist that comes to you and says, hey, should we be using this VR stuff for our uh, respiratory rehab patients? What would you say to them? Um, I would say not as a replacement to conventional respiratory physiotherapy at the moment. So that evidence isn't there. It's not strong enough. I think it's uh, it's something that may be good if you're in a plateau 
and you're looking for something else, what else? Or if that patient says, hey, I'm doing a lot of gaming, I'm finding it's really good, or they're kind of describing using that intervention at home anyway. So it could be a good adjunct, but I don't think it's going to take over routine physiotherapy anytime soon for respiratory patients. Mm. Mm. Well, I think that that is a very useful finding in itself, isn't it? Uh, Christina, as a budding researcher, where do you see the sort of next steps then for this uh, field of endeavour? That's so lovely that you call me a budding researcher, by the way, but um, I appreciate that. So we have some recommendations in the um, conclusion for a more homogenous um, study protocol for different research or, or, you know, for future research, I should say. Uh, and then I suppose what do you kind of think? Because now as simulation practitioners, we're listening to this going, hmm, uh, I, I'm not sure how that relates then to thinking about it from an educational sense, but also maybe this is just the wrong clinical application. Maybe there's perfectly uh, good clinical applications where this will be useful uh either of you might have some sort of comments on that for us maybe Suzanne you could start yeah I think it's it's becoming that it's emerging technology and I think it's happening in the research space more than the clinical space so I think research is currently guiding potential implications of clinical practice but we've got to see that translation so what we see in a controlled environment from a particular research study needs to translate into real world practice yeah, is that we've kind of treated this as does VR work, whereas a bit like asking does simulation work, of course the answer is it depends. What do you mean by VR? What do you mean by an outcome measure? And I think what we're seeing here is there might be multiple contextual factors as well that uh, would influence these sorts of outcomes. Uh, Christina, I suppose as we come around full circle, having discussed the paper, have you got any sort of other reflections then on thinking about doing systematic reviews and meta-analysis Uh and that sort of research and supervision process? It was very eye-opening to me as someone who has, I in my undergraduate, I, I did several research projects, but it was never to this, obviously, this caliber. So learning how to, as we said in the beginning, um, craft this question, learning what it actually means to do a thorough um, review of the literature, being um, accountable obviously, for your the results that you produce. Um, I, I think these are in, quite invaluable skills that anyone could, could benefit from, honestly, learning how to objectively come up with a question and then design methods and then get a, get a somewhat satisfying answer, whether it's yes, no, or otherwise. Yeah, I know. I think it's easy to underestimate uh, exactly how much discipline and focus doing something like that takes. Uh, well, just as we start to finish up here, some more cast listeners, we've been talking about a paper from Advances in Simulation at the end of last year, a systematic review and meta-analysis of the effectiveness of virtual reality as an exercise intervention for individuals with a respiratory condition by Christina Condon, who we've been talking about, uh, Wing Tung Lam, Kiara Mosley, and Suzanne Goff, who we've also been talking to. Well, ladies, thank you very much for your time today. Uh, really appreciate that. Any sort of final comments from either of you, Suzanne? No, thank you. Thanks for the invitation. And I hope people can consider whether VR really is the thing of the future <laughs> um, for respiratory conditions or others, other areas of practice. Yeah. Fantastic. And thank you, Christina, for joining us from Canada. Yeah. Oh, thank you so much. Um, I just wanted to say it was really wonderful to be a part of this discussion as um, a someone who is new to research. It's just wonderful to hear 
be a part of the conversation. Yeah, absolutely. All right. Well, we will, uh, just for those who are listening, don't forget we'll have the link for this on our Simulcast website. This is free and open access and advances in simulation. And uh, we look forward to talking with you more about some advances article in the future. But for now, uh, Victoria Brazel signing off for Simulcast. Listening to Simulcast, a podcast about healthcare simulation.